And good morning. I want to start off by saying um, a sincere thank you to all of you that were here last week. And Russ, I believe, stood up and asked you guys to pray for Monica and I while we were down in California doing our church planting assessment. It was a pretty intense time filled with a lot of testing and interviews and um, a lot of different stuff that we did. But we came out of it so refreshed and renewed, and we really, really are grateful to be part of a community that, one, would be a part of that journey and that process with us as we went down there, um, and that would pray for us and be thinking about us. When I got back from that assessment, I looked upstairs, or I was walking upstairs, and there were some prayer requests there. And I had just gotten done telling a friend of mine when I came back that I just felt like we had received really good clarity, passion, and vision for the next steps of our lives. And when I saw the prayer requests under David and Monica up there, it was that we would have clarity, passion, and vision. And it almost gave me goosebumps because it was like, wow, sometimes... When we pray, God actually hears it and does things with it. So I'm going to talk more about our experience this past uh, weekend, or past week, I guess, uh, throughout the talk today. But I did want to just reiterate how thankful and grateful we are for you guys being a part of our lives and a part of our family. We're going to continue in the book of Philippians. We're in chapter 2 today, verse 12. And I wanted to ask you guys to think, I don't know if it's just me or if some of you experience that frustration that the experience of your life doesn't always match the expectation that the Bible gives you. Or more particularly, as a certain passage will give you a certain expectation of the way life should be And your experience in living it out is different and it causes frustration. And I think that the passage that we're looking at today runs that risk of of building up these great expectations and then making us frustrated when our lives aren't lived out that way. Because this passage has thoughts from Paul that seem to me to be very lofty. And his plea seems very impassioned and intense. And the challenges that he gives us, to me, it can produce two completely different results in our life. When I read this passage, I can see people being impassioned by it, inspired, motivated, being free and excited about the things that God wants to do in their life. But I can also read this passage and see people becoming wrapped up in knots and frustrated and angry because their experience doesn't line up with the things that this passage talks about. I can see two different experiences coming out of the same passage. I brought today with me, and I don't know how many people in here play golf to me, one of the greatest games around. But when you go golfing, 
you can have, and those of you who have gone golfing, know you can have two incredibly different experiences. Sometimes you go golfing and it's the most exhilarating, relaxing, enjoyable experience of your life. Other times you go golfing and you feel like taking your clubs and throwing them in the nearest pond that's on the course because it is so frustrating. Every golfer has experienced that where they leave a round of golf and say, I'm never playing again. I'm done with it. And then two days later, you're back there because you want to play so badly. The first round of golf that I ever played was up at Wandermere. And a friend of mine, both of us had never played golf, and we got these free coupons to go golfing. So we borrowed golf clubs, and we went up there to play, and we thought, oh, this will be so fun, and this will be so great. And, and I thought, you know, I, I've played lots of sports in high school. How hard could it be to take a club, swing at a ball that's just sitting there, and hit it up to where you're going? So we went, and the thing that made me so angry at first is I could not hit the ball in the air. The ball just kept on running along the ground, and I thought, that is so frustrating. But we started off, and we played, and we hit probably like eight or nine shots, working our way up towards the green, and we're up kind of close to the green now, and I hit a shot, and it goes in the air, and it goes towards the green, and the flag stick is there, and it hits, and it lands just a few feet away from the hole, and I thought, This game's amazing. (laughs) So we're walking up to the green, and there was these two other people standing on the green that weren't there when I hit it. And I thought, huh, that's weird. And the guy looked at me, and he goes, did you hit that shot? And I go, yeah. And he says, that was a nice shot. I was like, thanks. That's how I usually hit them. And he looked at me and he said, you do realize your guys' green is over there. (laughs) It was kind of devastating. But even worse was we finished off the first hole and we went to tee up for the second hole and we grabbed our drivers and we're kind of looking out and the same guy yells at us. He goes, hey, and I look back, he goes, you guys are going that way. So my first experience was a little rough in the, in the whole golf thing, but, but it always intrigued me that people could take this little white ball, hit it like 400 yards into this small round little cup in three or four shots. It, it, it intrigued me, so I kept on playing, but the more I played, the more frustrated I became because I couldn't do it like all of my friends were. I would go out with my my buddies, and they would hit the ball so long and so far and so straight, and I would just be there hacking and hacking and hacking away. And it wasn't until I realized in golf, there's, there's a progression to learning golf. There's a movement to learning golf. You don't just pick up a club one day and know how to play the game. You start by hitting those worm burners that just go along the ground. And, and then as I started to practice and play more, I learned that you can hit the ball in the air. But that pr- created a whole new problem because once you start hitting it in the air, it can go right and left and all kinds of other places. So you start to learn a little bit of control and consistency. 
And then for me, the, the one club that I could never hit was the driver. And it always made me feel like less of a man because you go out with all of your friends and they hit it so far and then your ball's like 50 yards short of where theirs is at. And I remember one day I started hitting my driver and it started going further and I would, I would swing and I would just stare at it like, that's so cool. And you have this progression where you learn and grow and develop in the game. And, and yeah, there are times that it's frustrating, but then there's times that it's really exciting. And then once you learn how to hit the ball on a consistent basis, you realize you also have to know how to putt and chip and do all these other little intricacies of the game to be good at it. As you progress and as you develop, you learn that much of the frustration that comes from playing golf is in your expectations and what you're trying to get out of it. And when you're trying to get more out of the game than you're able to do, it becomes frustrating. And there's so many things in our life that the way that we approach them and our expectations going into them will either cause us complete enjoyment and satisfaction or it will cause us frustration and angst. And my prayer is that today as we look at Philippians 2 verses 12 through 18 that that we would experience the freedom and the inspiration of this passage. Because it is a tough passage. It's difficult with some of the things that Paul challenges us in. We're going to start in verse 14. And look at verse 14 and 15, because Paul says this. He says, I want you to do everything without complaining or arguing so that you can become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe. Those two verses that Paul gives us are just so simple and easy. He says, all I would like you to do is to never complain, never argue, be blameless and pure, and shine like stars in a depraved generation. How simple. How easy. Nothing to it, right? You just never complain, never argue, be perfect, shine like stars. Great. We can all just take that, go home, and do it. For me, this passage takes me back to bad places in my life and in my relationship with God because I grew up and and lived in a Christianity that wanted and taught that we should be so different from the world that we stand out and shine like stars at every moment of every day. There, There was this mythical quality that we were always taught and always chasing to achieve, and that was this quality of being on fire for God. If we could just be on fire for God. And I lived my life trying to be on fire for God. The difficult problem with that is I didn't know exactly what that meant to be on fire for God, but I wanted to do it. And so I would chase 
after certain things that people said I should do, I, I would try praying an hour every day because then I might be on fire for God. I, I would read my Bible every day, attend at least two church services a week. When, when worship was going on, I would be as passionate as I could possibly be because that would look like I was on fire for God. I, I would not commit any of the major sins. I would study and take notes whenever the pastor talked. I would never listen to music with negative lyrics, never watch a movie that was bad, never watch TV shows, make sure that I attended three extra church functions a month so that I could be on fire for God, so that I could be different, so that I could shine like a star, so that people would know that I was a good Christian. There would be something about my life. But really, all that I ended up being was a burnt-out moralist lacking any meaningful connection to God. I was the best church attender there was, but no relationship with Christ, no relationship with who God is. And all that I showed the people around me is that I was really committed to a religious system and organization, that I could attend church a lot. And the harder I would try, the emptier that I would become. And I think about that in golf because sometimes you go out and you want to play so well. And you, you try so hard to hit the ball so perfectly that it actually makes things worse. And anybody who's played golf knows the, the harder and harder you start trying and you think, okay, this one I'm going to really hit good. This one I'm going to do everything right on. This time I'm going to make it work. And, and you squeeze the club a little bit tighter. And you get a little bit tenser in your muscles. And you think about it a little bit too much. And, and instead of just letting this natural swing happen, everything becomes very mechanical and stiff. And you end up either hitting it fat or thin or off to the right or off to the left. Instead of just letting it happen letting your swing be natural. The harder we try in our Christianity sometimes to be that shining star, the harder we try to be the perfect Christian, a lot of the times, the more frustrating that it becomes. So when Paul tells us to do everything without complaining, be blameless and pure, shine like the stars, how do we handle those statements? How do we handle those expectations? What do we do with the requests that Paul puts on us? I think over the past few years, my response is to become jaded and cynical towards things like that. And so I will look at other Christians and other people that are trying to be exuberant and excited about their faith and living these things out and I'll, I'll judge them and criticize them because it makes me feel better about myself. I'll, I'll point fingers and say, man, they don't even understand what it's all about. They think this and they think that. They do it this way and that way. When really, that's exactly what Paul's trying to call us away from. He says, don't complain, don't argue. 
be one together. In the, the passage that Ryan did last week, it talks about being like-minded, being in love, unity, selflessness, humble, looking out for one another, taking care of one another. It's easy to become cynical, to become judgmental about it, but the reality is, is that throughout the Bible, it does call us to shine like stars, to stand out, to, to be different. Matthew chapter 5, verse 14 and 16, it, it says it this way. It says, you are the light of the world. Let your light shine before men. Psalms 34, 5 says, those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. 2 Corinthians 3.18 tells us that, that we can be transformed. We, we can be different says, we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into His likeness with ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is Spirit. So there's this call for us to be different. This call for us to shine like stars. To become blameless and pure. To move towards God. Towards this relationship with Him. But what do we do with that? How do we get our experience to match the expectation that the Bible presents to us? I think that it's instinctive in us that we then begin to build systems that try to help us to get there because we just don't know exactly what to do. So we will build something that we can control, a ladder that we can climb up, a checklist that we can check off so that we can see the progression that we're making. We, we think if I attend church enough, if I volunteer in a ministry, uh, if I pray for my meals all the time, if I do this, if I do that, then I will be what Paul is calling me to be. But the reality of it is, is that Paul invites us he actually challenges us to something so much different than a systematic religion that we climb a ladder or we check off things on a checklist. He says in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 12, he says this, he says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it's God who works in you to will and to act according to His good purpose. He invites us into a relationship with God. God working in us as we work out our salvation. And this word relationship is something that is talked about in the church I think all of the time. We hear a lot about it's not about religion, it's about relationship. But how many of us genuinely experience that relationship with God? Because a relationship is us letting go of ourselves and us even letting go of our systems and church and religion and saying, God, I am in it with you. And we can see in verse 12 that that. Paul says Jesus and God will be working inside of us to experience what Paul is talking about, to become blameless, to become pure, 
to shine like stars, to experience what Paul is saying, we have to be willing to let go and enter into a relationship with God, a relationship with Christ, because God wants to work in us. He doesn't want us to attend a meeting. He doesn't want us to have rituals that we just do. He wants to be interactive with us. The first verse that we started out in this series was Philippians 1, verse 6. And it said this, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And I could imagine if Paul were here today, him looking around the room to all of you and saying, God has begun a good work in you. And he wants to complete it. He wants to finish it. He wants to work with you, in you, through you. As you work out your salvation, as you walk out that salvation, God wants to be a part of it with you. Sometimes you question whether that work actually really started. You question, is it really real? Is it there? Is it inside of me? And he would look at you in the eye and he'd say, yes, God has begun a good work in your life. And he will finish it. He will complete it. He wants to be in it with you. He wants to experience it with you to have a relationship with you. It's, it's a journey. It's a movement. It's a, it's a progression of you and God working together. And it's a progression that's not static. It's dynamic. It infuses us with power and with life. It's not systematic or mechanical. It's unique. It changes. It varies. He tells us to work out our salvation. So how do we do that? How, when, how do we work out our salvation? Because for me, it's really easy to then jump back into the systematic religion way of doing things, to read more, pray more, attend church more. But we have to resist that temptation. As I started to get better in golf... And better is a loose and relative term for sure. But as I started to play more and started to be able to hit the ball a little bit better, I would go out with groups of guys and play golf. And every person, and it doesn't matter if they've played one time or a thousand times, everybody has a piece of advice that they want to give you that will fix your swing, that will correct every problem that you have. And I remember one time, and it was actually playing in a church tournament, and the three guys that were on my team, after about the fourth hole, had given me so many tips that I didn't know what I was doing anymore. One of them said, oh, put your right foot back. And another one, keep your head down longer. Another one, stick your hips out further. And by the time we were at the fourth hole, I couldn't even swing the golf club anymore because I had all of these thoughts and all of this advice and all of these mechanics running through me. How do we resist the temptation 
when it says to work out our salvation? How do we resist that temptation of just following a bunch of mechanical ideas and thoughts that a religion has given us? I would argue that we simply ask God. That we ask God what it is that He would like for us to do. And while that may sound trivial, I wonder how many of us actually spend time going to God and saying, God, what is it that you would like for me to do in my life right now? When's the last time that you went and said, God, what is it that you have for me? We have to be able to give God weight and space and place in our lives. It's easier to attend church and to go through religious motions. It's tougher to get with God and say, God, what is it that you have for me? Verse 13 tells us that it is God that works in us to will and to do. It is God that is longing and desiring to come in and work on the inside of you. And the beauty and the power of this is the fact that then all of our relationships with Christ begin to look a little bit different. There's things that God needs and wants to do on the inside of me that are different than on the inside of each and every one of you. And when we go and we ask God, God, what do you want me to do? We all get different answers. For some, he might say, I think you need to take a friend to coffee right now. For another person, you might need to take a long walk by yourself and process things that are going on in your life. He might tell somebody, you need to take some time and fast. Well, he might tell somebody else, you need to throw a party with all of your friends and have lots of food and drinks and a good time. Some people, he might be leading you to quit a job while other people might be starting a job. Some of you might need to wake up earlier and do different things in your pattern while some of you might need to sleep more. The beauty of interacting and talking and working with God is that He leads us and directs us into the things that we need in our life. And it's not just some system. It's individual. It's specific. It's what we need to do. And sometimes those things might be a little nerve-wracking. God might put in your heart, put in your life, you need to go apologize to somebody for something you did to them. You think, ah, I don't want to do that. Other times, what He gives you might just seem incredibly peaceful and feel like I just need to take some time by myself and process life and do what I need to do, spend time in the Word or prayer or whatever it is. But as you do those things, God begins to work in your life. And sometimes they are as simple as taking a friend out to coffee. It doesn't have to be some complex vision that spells out the rest of your life and this is the plan that God has for you. It's these little daily steps, this progression, this movement of you and God working together. For me, 
I like to get into a place where I just simply say, okay, God, what is it that is the next steps in my life right now? And if it's getting in touch with someone and going and talking with them, I'll, I'll say, God, I, I just pray that when I go and talk with this person that, that you will be there and it'll do the things in my life and in their life that needs to be done. And sometimes I'll walk away from those meetings and think, eh, that was cool, it was good to connect, but nothing super special. And other times I'll walk away saying, oh, thank you, God, you showed me something. Sometimes it's as simple as being at a movie and something in that movie happens and God begins to turn in my mind and in my heart and I think, yeah, that's what I need to do. That's the change that I need to make or, or the progression that I need to take. Each little step is an experience with God, a, a, a time to thicken and deepen and solidify your life and your relationship with Him. I honestly can't believe in my life the relationship that I have with God, that He's been willing to walk with me and guide me and communicate with me and interact with me, to be with me in my life. God wants to lead, guide, direct, to work on the inside of you. I used to kind of always view uh, my progression or my life with as a Christ follower, as this line that's like point A to point B, uh, where you start at point A and you need to get to point B. And so you're just working as hard as you can so that someday you can reach point B and you've done what God wants you to do. Or another way to look at it is maybe a little bit more spiritual, that point A is down here and point B, you're increasing and going towards this great thing that God has called you to. But the more I've lived it and the more I've experienced it, I started to look at it more like I would look at a journey or a vacation where there's no particular point A and point B, but there's experiences along the way. And I'm going from California to Mexico and when I get to Mexico, I have this experience that makes me a different person and a fuller person. And then I go back from Mexico back to Spokane and I meet this person and I become a fuller and deeper person and I learn more and experience more. And, and there's no linear movement. It's just going from place to place where God is directing and guiding and leading me so that I can come to know Him better. Paul says for us to work out our salvation with fear and with trembling. To give God the space that He needs to work in our life. To give Him weight in our life. I'm not suggesting that we just do whatever we want. I'm suggesting that we do what God wants. That you do what God is asking you to do. Verse 12 in the Amplified Bible, says to do it with serious caution, tenderness of conscience, and watchfulness. To take time to be serious about what God wants to do in your life. And this is what I love because we don't have to take serious or give all of our time and energy and effort to a religious organization, but we do have to take serious 
what and who God is to each and every one of us. When I was learning how to play golf, and I guess you're always learning how to play, there was a time that I finally became frustrated with the fact that I couldn't hit the ball the way that I wanted to hit it. I couldn't putt the way that I wanted to putt it. I couldn't hit out of the sand. I couldn't do the things that I wanted to do. And I went to a guy that gave golf lessons, was a golf pro, and I told him, I said, I want to take some lessons. And he looked at me, he's like, oh yeah, it'll be this much money, blah, 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 blah. And I said, no, I want to be good at golf. I don't want to just like come and take a few lessons. I want to be good. And I told him like in this very dramatic moment, I will do whatever it takes <laughs> to be good at golf. And he looked at me and he picked up a club and he handed it to me. He said, for two weeks, I want you to go and hit golf balls every day with one hand, your left hand, and hit them over and over and over and over again. And I kind of thought he was doing a karate kid, Mr. Miyagi type thing on me, <laughs> like seeing if I was really... And I was at that point in my life so serious about it, I said, okay. And I did. I went for two weeks, and I got blisters on my thumb and finger, and I wore out my club, and with one hand. And when I first started, it was awful. And I kept on doing it, and I kept on doing it. And there was days, and it was in the summertime that it was hot, and I thought, I don't want to do this anymore. This is stupid. When I went back, and I, he asked me, have you been doing it? I said, yeah. And he goes, okay, let me see you try. Like the moment. And as soon as I took one swing, he goes, yeah, I can tell that you did it. And then from there, he began to work and teach me how to play golf. And everything was kind of based off of this one-handed drill that, that I did. What I did was I said, I am going to give weight to learning golf. I'm going to take it seriously. I'm not just going to go half-heartedly about it. I want to learn. When we say to God, I am serious about you working in my life every time, he'll be faithful to answer that. When we give him the space, when we give him the place, he is faithful in our lives. As we work out our salvation, God works in us. Verse 16 tells us to lay hold of the word of life. And I see this kind of triangular thing where there's the word, there's God, there's his spirit, and it's all working in us. And as it works in us, we continue to step out and we continue to grow and we continue to change. We continue to be who God called us to be. There's a worship song that we sing here at church, and it's called, You Are In This Place. And it says these words, it says, Now is the time, this is the place, Lord, when all that seems bright fades away into your glorious majesty. I lay down my pride and all that you hate, Lord. Come and be, be with me, I pray. And then it says, You are in this place, King of heavens, with love everlasting. Come and fill my space. With all that you are, Lord, that's all that I'm asking. You are in this place. Peel back my layers and do what you have to do. 
When we take a posture of coming to God and saying, come and fill our space, peel back the layers of my life and do what you have to do, God will be faithful to that. God will answer that. God will come through with that. When we step back and see what God is doing in our lives, when we are willing to step back and give him the place, he will move on the inside of us. For me, this passage is so much more than verses or words on a paper. It's what I've lived out in my life because I've tried for so long to do it one way and then come to this place where I discovered God working and moving in my life. And as I've given him weight, as I've endeavored to give him space, he's been so faithful to that, to me. We went this last weekend to the assessment um, for church planting. And even when we were on our way to go, I honestly wasn't overly excited about it. Our life has been very hectic and busy lately, and there's a lot of things to get done, and you're worried about who's going to be watching your children, and who's taking our dog, and who's doing this thing, and who's doing that thing. And, And we're on our way there, and I had this sense of frustration and stress about all of the things that have been going on and knowing that I want to take these steps in my life and I want to plant a church and I I want to be a part of the things that God is doing in Spokane and and make a difference and make an impact and and I want to do all of these things but at the same time it hasn't always come together the way that it should or the way that we're hoping or want it to but yet when we got there and we started to settle into things, we started to see God begin to do some things on the inside of us, begin to, to turn our vision and clarify our passion a little bit. And we got to interact with other church planters or people that were hoping to plant churches and hear their frustrations and their concerns and how they were questioning themselves and the struggles that they were going through. We sat in this assessment where we took all of these psychological and strength tests and spiritual gifting tests and and then had these two people just delve into our life and ask us all kinds of tough and difficult questions and try to find the flaws of who we are and what we are. And we're going through this whole process. And when it came to the end, as we were sitting there with our assessors and they were talking to us about what they saw in us and what we've experienced and all of these different things, this moment of clarity and just feeling God's presence came into my heart and came into my life. And again, it was in a way that I would have never expected it to happen. But that's what God does when He works in our life. Our assessor told me in Monica, he says, he goes, well, we are recommending you without condition to plant a church. And when he said those words, which I didn't even know were coming, I didn't even know that was part of the process, When he said those words, it was like cement that dried and solidified in my life. And we turned a corner and it's this is what, not we're going to do, this is what we have to do. 
God has put it so deep and so strong in our heart and life. This is what we have to do. And so in this moment, the, the assessor has no idea that all of these thoughts are now running through my mind. And after a whole weekend of telling him how I'm not an emotional person and I don't cry about anything or all that stuff, I'm like starting to get a little choked up and thinking, don't cry. He'll think I was lying the whole weekend. <laughs> I'm sitting there and just thinking, God, you are so amazing. You're so great. You're so faithful because you work in our hearts, in our lives, in ways that we don't even see coming. So my prayer today is that you would walk out of here experiencing God, working in you as you walk out your salvation, that you would step into a relationship with him, that he is guiding and directing and leading and speaking to you as you speak to him. We're going to take communion and have some more worship. And again, I hope and I pray that as we do that, this would be a time where you would be able to look and examine in your life where you stand in this journey and in this experience with God. Are, are you trying to do things systematically or, and mechanically or are you experiencing a relationship with Him? And, and this would be my challenge is that you would come to him and say, God, I will give you space in my life. Because when you do that, when you step forward into that, God will be faithful with you. Let's pray. God, we worship you with all of our heart, all of our mind, all of our strength. And I pray, God, with all sincerity that we would take steps towards you, and towards a relationship with you. I thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.